0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Come on, you better like, that. Good morning, church. Good morning. Glad you are here this morning. And before we jump into the series real quickly, I want to remind you, does anybody know what next week is? It is Easter. It is the biggest of day. On the Christian calendar, as we come and celebrate the only event that changed all of eternity, and that is Easter. And so, we want to encourage you to be here next week. We are planning for well over 300 people we hope to have in this place. And so, we want you to be here, be early. We have a, a lot of activities going on at 10 o'clock, we have outdoor activities. For adults, we have face painting, balloon animals, Easter egg hunt. That's for the kids, not for the adults. We got all the stuff going on. We're gonna have muffins coming out of our ears, and we're gonna have coffee. It's gonna be an incredible day. Show up at 10 o'clock, service at 10:30. And if you've got somebody to invite. Please grab those invite cards, or we've got like 12 baskets up here. You can grab one, eat the peep. That's for you, but then fill it with candy. Take it to somebody you want to invite and say, "Would you please come to my my church on Easter?" And there's an invite card in there. So. Please, let's, let's be the hands and feet of Christ, going inviting people to come to a place where they're going to hear the only message that can change their eternity. It's the message of Christ. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 So now we're going to jump back in. Today is the last day. I don't know about you, but, uh, and I probably said this before, have you ever watched a series on like Netflix, like a, a, like a series that was like six seasons, you know what I'm talking about? And when you got done with the seasons, you felt like you lost part of your family because now you're done right? You know what I'm talking about? And so some of us watch way too much television. So this is kind of how I feel about Genesis. We've been walking for the last 11 weeks through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, and what we've seen has been extraordinary. We have seen some really interesting things. We've seen some foundational truths that have, that have kind of shaped us. There are Some foundational truths that have grown us in our faith. So we've learned a lot about who God is, right? That God is an internal God who's intricately involved in his creation. We've learned a lot about what God does, how he creates and how he speaks and how he rested. And we've learned a lot about our responsibility. You remember way back in Genesis 2, the first thing God gave humanity was the blessing of responsibility, right? He gave us that. And then we see everything fall apart in chapter 3. We saw the fall come into the world. And the whole point of going through chapter 3 was not just talking about the fall coming to the world, but to be reminded of ourselves of what sin does to us. Sin always creates shame. It always leads to fear. And consequently, sin always tries to blame somebody else for what's happened to you. But at the end of the day, we're all going to be held accountable for our sin and our actions and then if the story couldn't get any worse, we saw probably the most heinous sin ever happen in chapter four when what happened? Anybody remember what happened? Cain killed Abel, right? Brother against brother and Cain killed Abel, and then it just begins to fall apart from there. We begin to see this spiral of sin that just takes us down, and takes us down, and takes us down, and to the point where God said, okay, I've got to bring judgment, and I've got to be, a I am a just God, and so therefore sin has got to be dealt with, and so what does God do? God decides he's going to destroy the world, but he's going to save a family, Noah's family, so he calls out this guy named Noah, and says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. I know you don't want an ark looks like, because there's never been one built before, but I'm going tell you exactly how to build it Noah and I want you to build that ark and when the rain waters come I'm going to tell you to get all these animals to get in it we're going to close the door and I'm going to rescue your family and Noah your family is going to help me start all over again And so we had in Genesis early on where God was like the beauty of what God has done. And then we see the sinfulness of humanity. But even in Genesis 3, we saw that glimmer of hope, didn't we? Of the one that was eventually going to come, who was going to crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan, talking about Jesus. But then they continue to sin and the spiral keeps going. And so God decides, I'm going to destroy all the world, everything in it, except these animals and this one family. That was a picture of God's grace. Now, I don't, I'm not the sharpest tool in the tool shed, but here's what I would say. If you knew the stories, and you have to be honest, would these people that were Noah, his sons, and their descendants, would they have known the stories going back to Adam and Eve? Would they have known the stories, the old tradition of Cain and Abel? Would they have known the stories of how people had rebelled against God? Would they have heard Noah tell the story how God showed up and said, by the way, bro, you're going to build an ark for me? Would they have known the stories? Yes, they would have. Oral tradition was strong back in that time. So if you know the stories, would there be a part of you that goes, okay, here's what I can can deduct from this. God is good. Living for God is great. Not living for God, things don't go well for me. Would that be an easy deduction for you to make? Sure it would. And so you would think coming into that, it would all change. Because last week what we saw was how God came to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to bless you. Noah, I'm going to give you some instructions how to live your life. And Noah, I'm going to have a covenant with you. I'm going to enter into a covenant. By the way, a one-sided covenant. I'm the only one that can keep it, but I want you to enjoy the benefits of my covenant. You would think this would be this pinnacle new beginning where everything goes well. We've already seen it fall apart twice, but maybe now going to go, it's going to go well. But it doesn't. It doesn't at all. In fact, if you would go back, we're not going to read today, but if you go back and read chapter 10, what you're going to see is in chapter 10 is we talk about uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth—the three stooges. That's really what they were. J- Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and these guys and their descendants. How and listen, honestly, they—they they, how they began to develop and to grow. But their descendants become more and more wicked. And it leads to what happens in chapter 11, which is known as the Tower of Babel. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Genesis chapter 11. Now what is interesting about chapter 10 is you notice a little bit that they have begun to fulfill part of the purpose God had for them. Do you remember the purpose God had for Adam and Eve and the purpose he had for Noah and his wife? It was to be fruitful, to multiply, and to what? fill the earth. And so if you read chapter 10, you find out they did a really good job of being fruitful and multiplying. But then we come to chapter 11. I want to read the first two verses because it sets the background for what we're going to look at this morning. Genesis 11, verse 1 and 2 say this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. That means it was the same vernacular. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now here's some context to help us. What we know is that when chapter 11 happens, this is about 100 years after they've exited the ark. So 100 years, they've come off the ark. uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, they've been being fruitful and multiplying. So now we're about 100 years after they come off the ark. And what we find out is that when they come off the ark, how many languages are there? There's one. One set of vocabulary, one set of words, there is one language, right? And so there's oneness. And what do they do? Because there's only one language, all these people, all the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all these different descendants, they decide, hey, we're going to come together and we're all going to settle in a place called Shinar. Shinar is also known as Babylon. And so they decide all of them are going to come and they're going to settle in this one location and so that gives a little context to what's about to happen because today there's two things i want you to see as we continue in chapter 11 and the first thing i want you to notice is found in verse 3 and 4 it says this and they said to one another these men these people these 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 different generations of people said uh they said to one another come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar Now, what it says here in verse four, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top and the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, what we find out in these two verses is this, as we see that humanity's continual heart to sin. We see humanity's continual heart to sin. Because if you think about it here, God has blessed them. God has blessed Noah. We're starting over with Noah. I made a covenant with Noah. I made it with his sons. And there's this moment where, okay, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Let's get this thing going on the right track. But they don't. There's one language, one vocabulary. So they all decide, hey, let's all just live in the same place and let's do some things we shouldn't do. And the first sin I want you to notice in the passages is the sin of disobedience. Did you see there where he said, come let us build for ourselves a city? Now, a city means how many cities? One city. So he said, listen, we've all come together and we all want to build a city, a singular city. Now listen to me, you say, well, Doug, why is that a big deal? Because it's it's in breach of what God had told him to do. God said, be fruitful, multiply, and f- Fill the earth. They were fruitful and multiply, but they wanted to resonate in one location. So they totally ignored the mandates of God and they said, Hey, listen, we're going to come together and we're going to build a city for all of us. One language, one people, one group, different descendants, but we're all going to come together. We're all going to stay in the same city and we're going to build one city, not two, one, a city. And they were totally in violation to what God had told them to do. But did you notice? how what they were going to build the city out of let's go back to it it says this come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly in other words bake the bricks and had bricks for stone and bit them in for mortar now what they were doing is that you see with what they were going to build the city with is actually a reflection of the level of their disobedience they didn't just want to build a city to live in they wanted to build a city with baked bricks and mortar now What is the kind of mortar they do do to bricks? It makes it waterproof. And the bricks they were taking and baking them, what does that do to the bricks? Makes them indestructible. So they wanted to build a city breaking the mandates of God, ignoring what God had told them, but they wanted to build a city that was waterproof and indestructible. Now, why in the world would they want to do that? Because if we can build a city that's waterproof and indestructible, we can avoid the judging hand of Almighty God. Think about that. You say, how do you know their motivation was wrong because of that? It wasn't like, hey, let's all build cities. Let's all spread out. Let's do what God told us to do. No, no, let's all come together. Let's build one big city. Now, I know you're thinking, okay, these people are nuts. Because like, have you ever been to a family reunion before? How many of you went to your family reunion and could not wait to get out? If you're not raising your hand, you're the people we want to get away from, right? Yeah, I've been to those. You show up and you're like, you got, everybody's got that ant, right? You got that ant. And so, and so you're, you go and you're like, I got to get out of here. I just got to go, right? And so they just like, I mean, apparently they really liked each other because all three of the sons and all their descendants wanted to build a city. But when they did this, this was a sin of disobedience. They were ignoring the mandate of God to fill the earth. And they wanted to build a city that was waterproof and indestructible so they could avoid and withstand the judging and the judgment of God. Now, we know they could have never withstood the judgment of God, could they? Come on, could they have done that? No. But they thought they could. So you see the sin of disobedience. Hey, let's build a city. And then we see the sin of pride also in this passage. Did you pick up on what he said there? He said, uh, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come let us build a city and tower with its tops to the heavens and let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Hey, let's do this in such a way that people throughout the course of history are gonna go, whoo, those people. Man, they were the real deal. Those people were incredible. Those people built that city and it was waterproof and man, almighty God came down and judged them and they withstood it and they won the battle. Those people were awesome. He said, let's make a name for ourselves. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that every fiber of their being was self-centered. It was all about them. It was all about them building a city that they could withstand, but it was all about them making a name for themselves that they were going to be the top dog. They only saw the adoration of self. They wanted all the glory. Have you ever known somebody that when they do something really good, they want you to know they've done something good and they want the pat on the back? Have you known somebody like that? Some of you are calling names out, okay. So like we know people like that, right? The sin of pride. See, in their statement, let's make a name for ourselves, is there humility in that? No. It's just arrogance. And so we see the sin of disobedience, let's build a city. We see the sin of pride, let's make a name for ourselves. But then I want you to notice the sin of rebellion. What was this tower, how high was it to reach? The heavens. Now we know, come on, we know literally they could not have built a tower that would reach the heavens. We know this is not literal, but why do they want to build a tower that was so tall as if it had made to the heavens? The reason they want to do that is because they weren't going to literally do that, but they wanted a tower and a monument that reflected their greatness. They wanted something that could flaunt their power, something that they could look to to flaunt their authority, something they could look to that could flaunt, listen to this, they could flaunt we don't need God. We built this on our own. Even our building will reach the heavens. We're powerful. We're authoritative. We don't need to be dependent on a God. We've got this. And you see this sin of rebellion to build this and to flaunt this and so what we have in these first few verses we have a people who ignore the mandates of god totally ignored what god told them to do we have a people that made life all about themselves and we have a people who said we don't need god now don't raise your hand don't answer it out loud just think about this question is that true of us Just think about i'm not trying to I'm trying to step on your toes. I'm just asking a question that I've been asking myself for weeks now, looking at this passage. Is this true of me? And sometimes, can I be honest say? It is. Do sometimes we find ourselves in a place that we are deliberately and intentionally ignoring the mandates of God and the word of God in our life? Well, Doug, I don't do that. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. When's the last time you saw something inappropriate? I'm not talking about pornography. I'm talking about something you saw that took you down a path that shouldn't take you down. Well, doesn't Scripture say we should set nothing vain before our eyes? What about how you treat people? Well, Doug, you just don't understand. You don't know them. I mean, they are like the most unlovable person in the world. But didn't Jesus say that we're to pray for our enemies and to love those who persecute us? Didn't Jesus himself say that? My point is, do we all find ourselves at a time where we're ignoring the mandates of God? In fact, one of the biggest ones is when conflict happens. I'm going to tell you, I've been in ministry almost 30, over 31 years, and when conflict happens, a lot of times, especially when I was a student pastor, teenagers would come to me and go, Doug, will you go handle this for me? No. I'm not in the conflict. But Jesus was very clear how to handle conflict. Matthew 18 tells us exactly the process we're to go through. Matthew 7 tells us the heart with which we're to go to that person, where you take the log out of your eye to go help them with the speck in theirs. I mean, we have a lot of instruction, a lot of wisdom and guidance and direction in God's Word. But if we were all honest in the room, there are seasons and times in our life that we are ignoring the mandate of God. Do you agree with that? Do you think there's times in our life and seasons in our life where life becomes all about us? Can I say something? Sometimes we wrestle with a notion, I don't want to. And can I tell you, sometimes if that is your heart and it is violating the clear teaching of Scripture, you need to forget what you want and choose to do what is right. Right? And so many times we get to the place where life is all about us. It's all about our desires and our wants just like them. And what about those moments we find ourselves where we think, hey, I got this. Hey, I'm going through a difficult time. I'm going through a stressful time. Hey, I got this. And we we totally ignore our need and dependence on Almighty God. See, what I hope we learn from these first four verses is this this basic truth that for men, then for man humanity, our desires are always self indulging, self glorifying, and self fulfilling. Did you pick up on which word I used three times? Self, right? self-indulging, self-glorifying, and self-fulfilling. But what God's desire for humanity is, is that we would be desperately dependent upon him. That's what God wants for us. So when we look at this passage and we think, you know, God's made this new covenant with Noah, surely things are gonna turn around. What we see is a continual, humanity's continual heart to sin. Now, let's just be honest. We've talked about this before. If you're God and you see this, are you done with humanity yet? Is there a point where you're like, you know, quoting Jesus here, you're shaking the dust off your sandals, like, I'm done with these people. But we don't see that in the passage. Second thing I want you to notice is found in verses 5 through 9. Look at this, 5 through 8. And it says this in verse 5. And the Lord, read that with me. And the Lord what? Came down. Can you think of another time in Scripture that that idea is used? How about the birth of Christ, right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says, and the Lord, verse 5, came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us, that's a phrase to the Trinity, come, let us go down and may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from, from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Now here's what we see. While we saw the con- humanity's continual heart to sin, here we see God's continual heart to rescue. Now, I know I've said this maybe every single week of this series that I've been preaching it, but I don't want you to ever forget it. We have a God who never, ever, ever gives up on humanity. Even when he took out humanity with the flood, there was still a remnant, Noah. Even when people were destroyed and a few were taken to Babylon, there was still a remnant. Even though the first century believers were many martyred for their faith, there was still a remnant. God has always had a plan to rescue, and he's never given up on his people. And so while we might get frustrated with what we see in the passage, realizing that we are just like them, the reality is God never gave up on them, and God never gives up on you. And some of you need to know that this morning. God hasn't written you off. You're not on the bad list in God's eyes. You're on the list that desperately needs him maybe, but he's not giving up on you. And here's what we see in this passage, in these three verses, we see that God's hard to rescue in a couple of ways. First of all, we see it in his intervention. Look with me in verse five again. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. The first way we see God's continual heart to rescue is through his intervention. Now, why does God intervene? Why does he intervene? He intervenes because he wants to bring opposition to what they're doing. Was God okay with what they were doing? No, and he was coming down to let them know what you're doing is sinful, what you're doing is disobedient, what you're doing is rebellious, and I'm here to let you know it's going to stop. And so one reason God intervenes is obviously to oppose the sinfulness of humanity. But another reason he intervenes is because he knows, and he wants them to know, nothing can stop his plan. Nothing can stop his purpose. What was his purpose? His purpose what was his plan? To do what? Fill the earth. Were they filling the earth? No. And God says, listen, I know what you're doing, and I just want you to know it is sinful. And by the way, nothing can stop my plan. Nothing can stop the purpose that I have for humanity. And when you see this intervention of God, it's just another picture of how God loves to interrupt history to demonstrate his grace. One thing that I love, and I've said this before, one thing I love when I read Scripture, I love how God interrupts history and steps into it in different ways to show us and to demonstrate His love for us. Can you think of two ways that God has done that? Can you give me one? What's one of those ways? Jesus, right? Jesus came to the world. The birth of Christ, like the Word became flesh. Can you think of another way that God has interrupted history to bring salvation to the world? Yeah, the cross and the resurrection, right? And so God intervenes in history, and he intervenes to oppose their sinfulness, but also to remind them, this is a picture of my grace. My purposes will be carried out. And another way that we see God's heart for rescue is not only in his intervention, we also see it, secondly, in his discipline. Look with me in verse 6 through 8 again. It says this, and the Lord said, behold, they are one people and have one language and this is the only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and there and confuse their language so they may not understand when their speech so the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth. So God disciplines them, right? I mean, he not only the way God shows his rescue is he inter- intervenes on their behalf, but he also, he disciplines them. Why did God discipline them? Because of the key phrase there. He said, they're going to go down the path of no return, right? And God's like, I know where this is going. And so God intervenes, and God disciplines his people with two things. The first thing he does is he confuses their languages. Right? He comes in and they're all no longer. When God confused the language, when the, when the Trinity steps in, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and confused their languages, now they can't understand each other again. Now, these few people, like this half of the room or third of the room, might understand each other, but you have no idea what they're saying over here. And this part of the room might have a language and you understand each other, but you have no idea what they're saying or they're saying, and so forth and so on. There was now division among the people. He came alongside and said, You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to confuse their languages. Because I don't want them to understand each other. Because when they all understand each other, look what happens. Look what happens. Rebellion, disobedience, pride. Look what happens. And so he confused their language. And second of all, it says his discipline, he dispersed them over the face of the earth. Now, who do you think they traveled with? Do you think they traveled with people that had no idea what they were saying? Or people that could actually understand each other? They all migrated together. Which one do you think? Yeah, it's a ladder of the two, right? I mean, they went with people, and so God spread them out over the face of the earth. And what I want you to know about God's disciplined hand is this: is that God disciplined His disciplined hand was a means of protecting them from themselves. God disciplined them to protect them from themselves. Got I me. Mean, God understood that if I leave these people alone, what's going to happen? More pride, more disobedience, more rebellion but God knew listen listen to don't miss this God knew if I disperse them linguistically and geographically that is the best way to keep their power in check and the best way hear me the best way to bring them back and I want you to hear me say something we talk about a lot around right here God doesn't discipline you to pay you back God disciplines you what to bring you back and so God disciplines his people, and he disciplines them in the way by confusing their languages, dividing them. But he does, it. he divides them linguistically and geographically, knowing to keep their power in check, but hopefully for them to get to a point where they come back to him, come back to the covenant, come back to the relationship. And so when we look at this passage, even though we see humanity has this heart for sinning, I want you not to miss this. God continued to demonstrate his heart for rescue and he did it through intervention and discipline. And here's what I want to suggest to all of us this morning. I think God deals with us the same way that he dealt with them. Don't you think so? I don't know about you, but I, like these people, oftentimes have a continual heart to keep on sinning. Sometimes I have a heart of total pride. I have a heart of disobedience. I have a heart Of rebellion. But God treats me and deals with me just like he did this group of people. God, too, also shows his plan to rescue us through intervention. Well, Doug, how does he do that? Does does he show up in like, uh, you know, a still small voice? Or have you seen Jesus physically? And I would say no to both of those. But can I tell you this, how God has intervened in my life? Sometimes it's through a message I've heard Sometimes it's through a song that I've listened to that just wrecks me and reminds me of God's grace. Sometimes it's through a podcast. And most of the time, listen, sometimes, I mean, probably most of the time it's through my wife because I feel like she has the discernment of the Holy Spirit, but ultimately other people who are speaking into my life. Other people who know me and love me and care about me going, hey, look, I love you, bro. That's not okay. You can't do that. Now, is that just somebody speaking to me or is that God using them to intervene in my life? It's intervention, right? Now, why are they intervening? They're intervening to remind me that the way I'm living is sinful and that I'm not carrying out the plans and the purpose of God and something's got to change in me. I believe God still intervenes in our lives, but I also think God still disciplines. But I'm telling you, I believe God disciplines us not to pay us back, but to bring us back, right? And so this morning, I want to ask you, where's your heart at? Where's your heart? Do you feel like this morning your heart is loaded with pride, self sufficiency, disobedience? And if you're a believer, I'm asking you specifically, where, where's your heart at this morning? Do you feel like your heart is filled with, with the things that we've talked about today, filled with this notion of, hey, I don't need God, I've got this. Hey, I want to make a name for myself. Maybe it's in the business world, but I want everybody, when you say my name, everybody go, oh my gosh, they're incredible. Are you trying to make a name for yourself? Are you at that place where you're really, man, you, you are really, really at that place where you're ignoring the mandates of God? Where's your heart this morning? Or is your heart in a place where you are desperately depending on the Lord? But for those of you that aren't, for those of you that are much like these people, can I just challenge you with two things this morning? First thing I wanna challenge you with And we say it a lot, but I want you to hear me say it. I'm I'm going to challenge you to repent this morning. I want to challenge you to call out that pride in your life. Ask God to help you. I want to challenge you to call out that disobedience in your life. I want to challenge you to call out the rebellious heart in your life and say, God, I want to turn from my rebellion, my pride, and my disobedience, and I want to turn back to the relationship I have with you. I want you to renew and restore me, Lord. If you're a believer this morning and you feel like your heart is a wrong heart this morning, would you repent of that? Or maybe you've gone so far down that trail as a believer and you've ignored God and you've ignored God so much that, man, you've even become numb maybe to the things of God. Listen, here's my prayer for you then. I challenge you with this. Would you be willing to receive God's intervention and discipline in your life? Would you walk out of this place today going, okay, God, I know that I've walked away from you, but I'm looking for people and moments and situations and circumstances where you're trying to intervene in my life to point out the sinfulness of my heart and to do a work. And would you receive that intervention? Would you receive that discipline and allow it to turn you back to him? Here's what I know about me and probably true of all of you. We all have seasons, moments, and situations where we begin to bail and to walk away from God. And I'm just asking you this morning, don't you think it's time to come home? Don't you think it's time to come back to the one who loves us more than you could ever love yourself? Who loves you so much he sent his only son to die for you? For some of us that are running in rebellion, maybe it's just that notion of I'm not feeling close to God, I don't feel like my relationship with God is strong. Listen, he never left you, you're the one that walked away. Isn't it time to come home this morning? And so, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do this with me this morning. I'm going to ask you in just a moment, we're going to sing. I'm going to say, This altar's open. If you just need to repent of pride, disobedience, rebellion, this altar's open. If you need to say, God, I need to receive people's intervention and I need to receive your discipline in my life to take me back, this altar's open. If you're just struggling this morning and you are burdened down this morning, there's only one place to go it's through our Heavenly Father. And this altar is going to be open for you. And if you're here this morning, and you've never trusted Christ, and you think your story is so bad and you've gone too far, listen, I want to remind you, you've never gone too far. God still has a plan to rescue you. And all it takes, listen, all it takes is you receiving it. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably in third grade. I don't know how to swim, quite frankly. I still don't know how to swim. Uh, I love the water. I just can't swim I know some of you have friends that go, oh, Doug, but everybody's got a booing point at some point. You just kind of float around. Mine's about six inches above my head, so I just can't swim. I know I can't swim, but I remember I was at my friend's pool party, never really been to a pool party, and I decided I was going to teach myself to swim on the fly. And so I decided to jump in the deep end of the pool, and it didn't take me long to realize I didn't know how to swim, and I began to panic. I mean, like real panic. Like, I'm going to die. I mean, I'm like third grade. I don't know what went through my mind, except I'm going to die here. And I'll never forget my friend reaching out to me, and as I kept bobbing up and down, going, help, you know, help, or water, you know, choking on water, I remember there was a moment when I had to reach out and grab his hand and let him rescue me. And if you don't know Christ today, I'm asking you, would you reach out your hand and let him rescue you? Because he wants to. So whatever decision you to make this morning, would we be faithful to respond to that? This altar is going to be open, and it's not just for those that need to repent. It's not just for those that need to, to, to receive that the intervention. This is an altar today, this morning, and I want you to join me at it, because if you've got some things hard and heavy on your heart, this altar is for us to come to the only place we can go to find peace, comfort, and encouragement, and that's to the Lord, right? Let's all stand together, if you would. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God, I thank you this morning for your word. God, there's a part of me when we read a story going, oh my gosh, here it is again. The cycle of sin just keeps on. We look at humanity and we see things in them that perturb us, things in them that frustrate us. But I think the reason it perturbs us or frustrates us is because we see ourselves in these people. We see ourselves with the heart to ignore your word and to be disobedient. We see in our heart this pride that we saw in these people. We see rebellion in us like we saw in these people. And God, I'm asking today for those of us, Lord, that are followers of you, that today we would realize that, we, that we've got to repent of those things. And we want you to remove that seed of rebellion and dis, uh, disobedience and pride Because, God, we don't want to be ineffective for you. We want to live our best life for you. And our best life is not living a life for self. It's living a life for the only one that matters, and that's you. So, God, I pray with everything in me today that for believers, if we need to repent, we would do it. If we need to look at our lives and begin to notice moments when you were trying to intervene and we weren't paying attention, or moments when you were disciplining us and we weren't paying attention, that today we would go back and say, Lord, I receive those moments. I receive those words, and those words and those moments are gonna bring me back to a deeper relationship with you. Again, I just believe there's a lot of believers in the room who are burdened this morning. They're weighted down Maybe it's not with sin, it could be with family, it could be with relationships, it could be with jobs, it could be with, with finances, it could be a lot of different areas. But God, may we hear the words of Jesus who said, those who are weary and heavy laden, come and I'll give you rest. And God, so I pray for those this morning that are burdened down, would they find a safe place at this altar, a place where they can come and just pour it out to you, knowing you hear us and you move on our behalf. And then God, I pray for that person that doesn't know you. They're drowning, not physically, but spiritually. And today we were reminded, God, that no matter how bad it gets, how bad these people were, you always had a heart to rescue. And that's still true today. And all the people that are drowning spiritually need to do is to reach up and to take your hand and say, I surrender my life and I put my faith in Jesus. And God, if they will do that, you will change them. I pray they would have the courage to make that decision this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for what you do. And now I pray that we would be faithful to respond to you. For it's in your precious and your powerful son's name we pray. Amen. Now listen, I just want to challenge you. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to receive what God is doing in your life. Or maybe you are just burdened this morning. There's a place we can go to find comfort. There's a place we can go to find encouragement. There's a place we can go to find the strength that we need, and it's the Lord. And if you're wrestling with those things, would you join me as coming to this altar and taking a moment and just crying out to a holy God? Please respond as you feel the Lord leading you as we continue to worship.